listening to a message from Red Church in Melbourne, Australia. If you'd like to know more about Red or its ministries, please go to redchurch.org.au. Good morning, everyone. My name is Brittany, if I haven't met you, and I'm one of the pastors here at Red Church. Um, And yeah, delighted to be speaking and with you all this morning. I love when we get to be together as one family, Kilsyth. PM and AM, um, there's something really nice about it on a long weekend to see family, um, as well as have a nice break. So yeah, it's good to be together. Um, if you, oh actually, hands up if you were here last week. If you were here, yeah, great, a lot of you. Um, Mark actually shared with us a fantastic message um, about the greater vision, looking at um, what God is calling us to, and it was, yeah, a really powerful message, so I encourage you to, to have a listen to that. Um, I'm going to explore a little bit more of that today, but There were some really key things in there that Mark shared around what it looks like to understand God's greater vision and to realize that actually this vision is an ancient one. It comes from the text that we read, the Bible. It's it's an ongoing story. It hasn't ended when the Bible was finished um, writing. It's actually still happening now and we're called to participate in that. Um, And Mark was using this word, this Hebrew word. I'm not gonna say it quite as well or as, as much passion that Mark says it, so you have to listen to the podcast to hear the way he says it. Um, it's called Hazan. Um, yeah, wasn't too bad. Um, <laughs> and it's this idea that this vision um, is actually a part of the visions of what the prophets had in the Old Testament. It's revelation, it's spiritual sight. That's what we're talking about here in this idea of vision that God still has for us here and now because his heart is still to bring redemption, to bring restoration, to bring life and renewal even in our time and place here in Melbourne. Um, yeah, so I wanna kind of explore that a little bit more and I love, I love reading the Bible and the fact that um, there are so many promises throughout it that we still actually haven't seen fulfilled. There's something pretty exciting about that. Um, but one of the biggest things that we've seen happen, of course, is that Jesus came um, and made God known to us, and that is one of the biggest promises in the Old Testament, that a Messiah will come. The prophets talk about it, um, and then we get to read about it when he does come, and it's so crazy to think about a man that actually fulfills a vision, but also imparts that vision. And so this morning, I wanna explore that. I wanna look at the way that Jesus does that and that idea of the messianic age that he brought, um, what it meant when he came and how he saw God's vision and how he lived that out and what it looks like for us to do the same. And yeah, I just love looking at the scriptures to recognize that a part of what Jesus did when he came was actually give the people sight. And that was what he was designed to do. If you read in the Old Testament, there are numerous passages about the Messiah that will come. That people's eyes being open to God's vision was actually something that was going to happen time and again. No matter what generation you lived in, in the Old Testament, it's uh, represented in the Psalms and in Isaiah, in those passages. But not only that, when Jesus does arrive, he talks about it as well. He speaks of it in Luke 4. When he says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to, sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. To set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is actually also in Isaiah 61. So Jesus is quoting from the Old Testament and 
he finishes this. He's standing in the synagogue in Nazareth in his hometown when he says these words. When he closes the scroll and sits down, he says to the people there, this is being fulfilled today. I am a part of this. I have been brought to bring sight to you and all those around you. So I love it. He fulfills it, but he also comes to impart that vision. How does he give us sight, though? What does that look like? Well, there's numerous stories in the Gospels of Jesus giving people sight. So I thought we'd just explore one of them this morning. So we're going to go to Mark, um, the Gospel of Mark. If you want to get the Maroon Bibles out there in front of you, or you can look in your own Bible. Um, In the Maroon Bibles, we're on page 708. I am also going to have it up on the screen, but if you'd like to have something in front of you, yeah, I encourage you to get it out. We're going to look at Mark 10, 46 to 52. So as I said, there are many stories about Jesus healing um, the blind throughout the gospel. Some of them are repeated, um, but every gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, has a story of people being um, receiving sight. So there's something to it. When you see it repeated throughout the gospels, it's something to notice. Um, and I think it's also because the gospel writers wanted to affirm who Jesus was, to point back to that bigger story that God is coming and that his vision is still something to be fulfilled and seen. So let's read. Verse 46, then they came to Jericho. As Jesus, as Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, was sitting by the roadside, begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. It's quite a short little snippet, but yeah, a really um, interesting text Many of the stories are similar in some of the things that happen in them. The people that come to Jesus, they come in a similar manner. Um, But I love, as we see in the Gospels, the way that Jesus brings sight and life to people actually changes depending on their story. The end result's the same because it's about revelation and new life. But how he does that and how that works out is different. So it's really interesting when you look at all these different stories. What I love about this story is just how much we get to see the character of the blind man. And I really love diving into a story, so we're going to do that together. So if you want to close your eyes, you're welcome to, or if you're happy to just sit back and relax, also fine. Um, Something to realize is that this man, Bartimaeus, who's been sitting by this gate in Jericho for many, many years. He's been blind for a while, and he sits there and he begs. This is his normal post. But like we know, when someone loses their sight, often their other senses are heightened. So when Bartimaeus is sitting there and the crowd walks past, his hearing is really acute. So he can hear the conversations that are being talked about as the crowd walks with Jesus. Little murmurs of what it's been like to follow Jesus. What's he going to do next? He said he's going to bring the kingdom. What will that look like? 
Not only that, Bartimaeus can sense the crowd. He's aware of the people around him, the people shuffling and moving, and he can feel the anticipation in the group. He doesn't want to miss out. He has heard about this Jesus of Nazareth. He knows about him. He knows what he's done. And he can recognize the presence of Jesus in this crowd. So what does he do? He shouts. He uses his voice. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. There is a huge crowd. How is he going to be heard? He stays seated, it says in the text. He doesn't get up, but he raises his voice again. He's used to raising his voice because no one will listen to him. He's passed by day after day. He actually doesn't have a voice in society or in his culture. But yet, he pushes it again and raises it again and says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. It's really important to realize that this man was treated this way because of his ailment. In the ancient world, the idea of light in a human being, not living, not the light, sorry, of the sky, but living light, dwelt within people. It derived from their heart, and it emerged in their eyes. So that this, because this man was blind, what that meant was that he had darkness within his heart. It was believed that's what, what would emanate from him. The blind were often suspected of having the evil eye. And so he was avoided, he was ignored, no one looked at him or listened to his voice. He was treated badly. And yet, this blind man who sits by the gate recognizes the presence of Jesus. He calls out to Jesus using the title Son of David. When he says that, it's not just a name, it actually encompasses more than that. Son of David is a messianic title. He is describing or calling Jesus king. And he knows that when a king comes, so does the kingdom. And so he's calling out and saying, Jesus, king of the kingdom, I see you, I know you, please have mercy on me. There are many in the crowd who haven't even recognized Jesus and they have sight. But this man can see Jesus. He knows him. So he's called out twice and the crowd's getting impatient. They're used to treating him the way that everyone else does, so they try and keep him quiet. And it says they rebuke him. Not just be quiet, but also put him down. There's a sense of, um, yeah, real dread and anger towards him. It's so funny that even though he's crying out within a crowd, Jesus still hears his voice. And he stops. Jesus recognizes our voice. He made us so he knows it. When we cry out in a crowd, he can hear you. He hasn't lost you, no matter where you are. So although people walk past Bartimaeus time and again, Jesus recognizes him, even though he may not have been able to see him in the crowd. Then Jesus speaks to those around him, the very ones that have been putting this man down, and he says to them, call him. He reverses things just in that moment. His upside down kingdom is always happening. The men that have been putting him down are now called to serve Jesus and go and get this man and bring him to him. And so they do, as we read, cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. 
immediately Bartimaeus is super excited. He throws off the cloak and all the money he's been gathering and heads toward Jesus. What is it like to get through a crowd though when you're blind? How does that happen? Well, naturally, some of the people in the crowd would have moved aside because they don't want to touch him or be near him because darkness emanates from him. But there were probably others in the crowd who had the heart like Jesus and wanted to see this man healed, could hear the cry in his voice just as much as Jesus could. And so they clear a path, but they also put out a hand to help him make his way to Jesus, to lead him down towards him as the crowd parts. He walks along, excited, but probably afraid to meet Jesus. A sense of anticipation, knowing what Jesus has been capable of and what he's already done. And finally, he reaches Jesus. And Jesus doesn't step back. He doesn't create distance. He lets him come really close. You can imagine that the crowd that was loudly speaking about who Jesus was is now silent as they wait to hear what Jesus is going to say and what he's going to do. And what does he say? In verse 51, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man says, I want to see. And I think sometimes we get to this point, or there are people here who are hungry to see Jesus, who are searching for something, who have heard about him or desire more. Mark talked about this last week, this vision, this ancient vision that we read about that is still alive now is something that's placed within and we hunger for it. We want to see it fulfilled. We want to see Jesus and his kingdom. And so maybe this morning you've come and you're asking Jesus, I want to see But not only that, when he asks this question, it's not just I want to see, it's I want to be seen. (coughs) Henry Nguyen says, in relation to this, we ask us, do I want to be fully seen by Jesus? Do I want to be known by him? If I do, then a faith can grow that will open my eyes to heaven and reveal Jesus as the son of God. I will see great things when I am willing to be seen. I will receive new eyes that can see the mysteries of God's own life, but only when I allow God to see me, all of me, even those parts that I myself do not want to see. Do you want to be fully seen by Jesus? Do you want to be known by him? You can ask, what is required? If we look at this blind man in this story, he believed in who Jesus was. So what's required of us? To believe that Jesus is the King and Lord of all and that his kingdom is at hand. Secondly, he asks earnestly. He knows that he needs help. He asks Jesus for help. And thirdly, it's really interesting, he asks for mercy. At the start, that's what we hear. It's not, I I want this or that from you, Jesus. He doesn't think he is owed anything. He just wants to encounter Jesus and to see him. What does that look like for us? And finally, Bartimaeus knows that he is missing something. And he wants it back. He wants his sight 
it feels like sometimes when we're living out our lives that we are missing something, that we are hungry for something. It's part of our human condition, that we want to live with God. We're designed to be, and so when that's not the case, we're missing it. And so we can call out and say, Jesus, I wanna see that, I wanna live that. I thought it'd be good at this point to maybe just pray and ask. So I might do that. Why don't you close your eyes? And I'm just gonna ask that we would see Jesus and his kingdom and be seen by him. And if that's you, I just, yeah, get you to be still and ask along with me. Lord Jesus, we know that you are king and Lord of all. And we desire to know more of that. And Holy Spirit, as the bringer of revelation, I just ask right now that you would bring sight to our eyes, to our hearts, to our souls, and to our spirits to encounter you, to see you, and to be seen by you. That we may be people that see your kingdom, that we may be changed by you, that you may impart that vision to us, that we would fulfill it just as Jesus did. Holy Spirit, please open our eyes and our hearts to more of the King. Amen. So this blind man, he has asked for something simple, yet something so profound. He has said to Jesus, Rabbi, I want to see. And Jesus, quick, easy response, go. Your faith has healed you. But if you think about it, if we step back into that story with Bartimaeus standing before Jesus, when his eyes are opened, what is the first thing he sees? Anyone? Jesus? Yes. (laughs) Wasn't meant to be a trick question. Um, He sees Jesus. What's it like to look at Jesus? Have you ever thought about that? What is it like to look at Jesus? Well, firstly, we know that he was fully human. So when we look at Jesus, we see a reflection of ourselves. He has eyes, a face like us. You'd think that maybe Bartimaeus, after hearing Jesus' voice and the compassion and mercy in his voice, when his eyes were open, he saw them, that compassion and mercy in Jesus' eyes. We see a man that is gentle yet strong. And as I said, we see parts of ourselves because we're designed to be like Jesus. It says in Romans 8, 29, that those who God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that we might be, he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. We're designed to be like Jesus. And so we see a reflection of ourselves. But not only that, Jesus was human, but he was also fully divine, So when Bartimaeus stands in front of Jesus, he sees a man, but he also encounters a king, the Alpha and Omega, the creator. As you look into Jesus' eyes, he floods our human soul with his glory. All of creation was made in him and through him by his hands, he was a part of that. As we read in John 1, that wonderful start of that gospel that's so confusing and so poetic and so great. 
Through him all things were made, without him nothing was made that has been made. I love this image as a representation of that, of Thomas, one of the disciples wanting to touch Jesus' wounds when he has been risen, to believe that he is who he says he is. But also that idea that within Jesus, the galaxy can reside because he created that. It's crazy to imagine standing in front of Jesus in all his glory, in all his power. And not only that, when we think about Jesus as God, we recognize our place. There's a sense in which we become so aware of our context. We stand before him as the created. In that moment, you feel meaning and purpose. You recognize past and history, and you're placed within that, within that story. But what happens if you dare to hold his gaze a little bit longer? What will you see? The more you look at Jesus, you'll begin to recognize the Father. Because as he said in John 14, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And so as we spend time looking at Jesus, whether that's through prayer, whether that's through reading the Bible, and sometimes it's through others, through doing life alongside others, some people that know Jesus, some that don't know Jesus. I have sat with friends, and I remember this one time, I was in a conversation with a friend, and honestly, it's almost as if I saw Jesus' eyes in their eyes, their compassion and love as they sat with me in a really dark place. We encounter the Father when we spend time looking at Jesus in all those different ways. There's something so powerful about that. Recently, well, not that recently actually, a few months ago I started painting um, and I've been really enjoying it. I love painting and using different colors. Um, and I've had to really grow because I actually have no, I had no prior skill. Um, so I went and had lessons for a little while and I was using oil paints and part of the way that my teacher taught me was, um, you know, get a blank canvas. Here's like a kind of minimal range of paint colors. Um, we're going to grid up your canvas, pick a picture, and then I'll kind of guide you through it. I was like, okay. So I had this picture up, got my blank canvas, got my paints, so excited, ready to go. Um, and she's like, okay, let's just like look at this section on this um, picture you have and tell me what colors do you see? And I was like, oh, I don't know, like yellow, green. She's like, cool, anything else in there? I'm like, no, I think that's it. And she's like, okay. Um, but with oil painting, you obviously got to mix the colors to make other forms and shapes and hues um, of those colors. And so she's like, um, well, I actually see magenta in there, and there's definitely some red in there. And I was like, I cannot see that. But I trust you because you're teaching me. So, you know, put it all on my um, palette, and I start kind of blending it. Anyway, and I start painting. And week after week, this keeps happening, where I sit there and I'm trying to mix these colors, and I'm like, it's not the same as the picture. Um, obviously, perfectionism is being worked out of me in this process. Um, and <laughs> the more I do it, the more frustrated I get. And then she comes over and she's like, oh, Brit, just add some of, again, magenta's in everything, guys. Add some magenta, add this. I'm like, oh, okay, yep. Anyway, then this perfect color comes. I'm like, okay. Really can't see what she's seeing, but hopefully that'll change. So I was painting this one image for months. So I would spend week after week looking at this same picture. And I realized after a little while, my eyes actually started to perceive colors differently. 
the more that she would encourage me, I'd kind of look at it a bit more and be like, oh, actually, no, I, I, do, I do see that now. And it was crazy. I didn't think it would happen. Um, but slowly, my eyes, yeah, began to perceive things differently. And then I had this weird moment where I realized I was outside going for a walk, and all of a sudden, my eyes were picking up colors I'd never seen before, or like different hues of greens that I had never noticed. And it was so exciting to be like, oh, that's kind of transferred into real life. It's not just when I look at my painting. I love that that's possible. That we can grow in our capacity to see colors. And so too it is in our spiritual sight. The more time we spend looking at Jesus, the more our eyes become accustomed to seeing and recognizing the Father to perceiving him, not just in our own lives, but when we leave our homes, in the lives around us, in the places we find ourselves. And what does it look like to see the Father? Well, we're not sure because he is a being, but we haven't seen him fully. The people in the Old Testament that did see part of him often died, which is a bit hectic, but so we haven't actually seen him in all his glory, but Jesus represents him. So if we're to look at the Father, what we actually see is his characteristics. He doesn't just give love, he is love. And so when we begin to look at Jesus, we recognize more and more what that looks like. Just like his compassion, for instance, could be green. The more we look at it, or his mercy is blue. His grace is white, his love is red, his forgiveness is yellow, and his joy is orange. All these different colors of things that emanate from God, that who God is. And when we look away from Jesus, when we spent that time in prayer or in worship or reading our Bible and go out into the world, we begin to see those colors around us. We begin to see the kingdom in that way. As a loved one stands before us asking for forgiveness, in that moment we have a choice. And when we do step into that and say that we forgive them, it's almost as if a stream of yellow emerges from the end of the creator's brush and he paints something different. The kingdom happens in that moment. God's essence as someone who forgives. Or perhaps we're moved by compassion. We see someone who is in need of presence and even just food and you welcome them to the table. As you do that, there's a deep, rich emerald green that seeps from the painter's brush. It changes into a crisp, wet ocean blue and then finishes in a crimson red. Because in that moment, you've seen the Father. You've been a part of showing his heart of compassion, of mercy and love. Those colors emerge from the brush as they emerge from you. As you emanate and you spend time looking at Jesus and seeing what he did and following his lead. We are actually designed to see the world through the eyes of Jesus. And I imagine that's what he sees, those colors of the Father painted over our lives, over the cities that we live in. And it's such a fun way to think about the kingdom, to imagine the kingdom that way. I think sometimes when we talk about vision and prophecy and revelation, we kind of go to this like weird, wacky place in our head. And let's be fair, some of the things in like Ezekiel and Revelation, it's up there for interesting. So I'm not saying that doesn't happen. But a lot of the time, God's revelation, his vision is actually his heart. 
It's actually his character in the world. The kingdom is where God's will is lived out. And so these colors we see, that's actually his vision. That's the thing that we are looking for. And I love that there are some colors that are in your life that only you know or only you've encountered. When you think about the color green, there are so many variations to that. But there's something specific that God's shown you in that. If we look at another story around Jesus healing, um, someone, I wanna go with John 9 in this, and I'll just, I'll just do a quick version of it so you don't have to jump there. But um, in this particular healing, Mark mentioned it last week, Jesus actually spits on the ground um, and uses the mud and puts it on this man's eyes. And then he says, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. So the man goes away and washes his eyes and then he can see. Something really interesting about this passage is that when um, Jesus actually spits in the ground, if you think about this beggar's life and what he's experienced, as I described before in the ancient world, he would have been treated the same way as Bartimaeus. People treated him um, like filth and yeah, so they would often spit at him. That was something he would hear regularly and have to move out the way. He could hear it coming and landing. Part of just putting him in his place. Why would Jesus then do the same thing? Why would he do that? It's never his heart to hurt or to upset people in that way. He would never want that. It's because the place of the hurt is often the place of the healing. And so Jesus, as he does that, he's going to restore this man's sight, but he's also restoring this man's identity. He's reframing that moment for him to bring life, to say actually you're known and you're valued. In the ancient world, it was believed that sharing saliva, this is a weird fact, but was a form of blood covenant. That's what he's saying to this man. You've heard this time and again, but I'm about to redeem this for you. Not only that, I'm gonna put this on your face. You're in covenant with me, you belong to me. There's so much power in that story, in such a simple act, but he's bringing life and sight to this man just in a different way, just as he does it differently to you and to me. But there are sometimes things in our past that Jesus wants to change our vision on. He's not bound by time, nor is the kingdom. And so sometimes he takes us back to look at the story differently, just as he did with this man, to put color into a story that we've left dark and gray and black and white. And he says, no, I was there, my kingdom was there, my heart was there, my love was there, let me take you back and redeem it. And sometimes to be able to recognize Jesus, Father and Holy Spirit here and now, we have to be able to recognize him in our past. That's why we read the Bible. That's a part of our story, to recognize where he's been in the past, to understand where he is now and where he is going. His character doesn't change, it remains the same. You can see those colors in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, in your life and in my life. What colors are painted within you and around you? Where has he been bringing the kingdom? And where does he want to? What stories does he want to reframe and redo? And what does it look like to see? As I said at the start, what is the requirement? We must believe, it must be believed to be seen. 
Faith is so key to this. As I said earlier on, if you read the accounts of all the blind men that are healed, they call out to Jesus. They know who he is. They believe in who he is before the crowds do, before some of the disciples even. There's this sense in which they know Jesus. There's a knowing. And when I've been talking about sight, it's not just with our eyes. Some of us may actually see Jesus. Some of us may not. But the thing is, as it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we live by faith, not by sight. It's not just a cognitive thing. It's not just facts that lead us to Jesus. That's not the way it works. I really love in 1 Peter 1, 8, it says, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you're receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. It's actually in his grace that we are given vision. It is not something we have to earn. It is not something that we have to fight for. It is something that is given when we believe in who Jesus is. Michael Frost says that faith is all it takes. The faith to risk living as if it's true. You see, it is faith that opens our eyes. God's kingdom is present where God reigns and those of us who've devoted ourselves to his service, who've reached out to him in faith and experienced his grace, know what it's like to see God's sovereignty all around us. But it seems we need some help in rediscovering the myriad ways God reveals grace to us. Throughout the word, through the realm of nature, through the arts, in relationships, and in who knows how many other ways. But dare we even look? Will we look? and see. Whether you have met Jesus this way yet, whether you know him, that knowing that surpasses sight and knowledge, but something deeper, or whether you've been working with, walking with Jesus for a while, we always need to be renewed. Our vision continually needs to be tuned and changed. Our perception of color can grow, and there's something really fun about that. So what are we, what we are called to do is to believe that God's vision is true, that it will come to pass. And we have promises throughout scripture that affirm that. Jesus is one of those promises. So we can be confident in the vision. We don't have to create it, but we're designed to believe it, to look for it, and to live it out. To come to Jesus, to be seen by him, and to see. Will we respond? Will you respond to that? I think it's really exciting to consider, as I said, the different colors within this room, but also what is God painting over the city of Melbourne? If you think about when Jesus was alive and doing his ministry, there were areas without, uh, around Israel that were being awoken to the kingdom, like when he spoke in Galilee or he went to Nazareth. But the city was still being ruled by the Roman powers. When Jesus comes, everything will be changed. The kingdom will come in all its fullness. But just as it was then in the ancient time when he was around, so it is now in our city. It may not seem like the kingdom's coming, but actually there, is, there are patches and parts that are being renewed and restored. And we can be confident of that. And I wanna see more. I believe that he wants to paint in the city and bring it to life because I see it in you, I see it in me, and we make up a part of this city, but there are more. And there is more that he wants to do. He is the same artist from the Old Testament to the New Testament to now. And he gives different expression year after year of the same vision that he has to see his people come home, to see creation restored, 
and to bring life to all. So let's spend some time recognizing the colors and the ways that he's doing it now in our generation. Let's let our lives be painted by him so that others may see it. And let's join him in the painting. As we live out compassion, as we live out love, mercy, forgiveness, grace, it's time to pick up a paintbrush and to join him. I'm gonna get you to stand as I pray and we enter into some worship. Lord Jesus, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you came and fulfilled the promise of God to bring restoration to a broken world. And we thank you that you desire to impart that vision to your people. And so Father, I just ask again that as we, as we come to worship you here and now that you would open our eyes and hearts more in your timing and in your way, that we would grow in our desire to see your vision, your kingdom come in Melbourne, in the lives around us. Holy Spirit, may you lead us now as we stand before Jesus, as we raise our voices declaring your kingdom come. Holy Spirit, may you have your way. Amen.